Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening of the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Tamara, for all kinds of things. Jason and I were just talking down there in the front row. This, this is the shortest of our Lenten passages. Man, you could go a hundred different ways and spend a month here and not get to all that you need to get to. So... I guess I got to start with a story about the bus. I guess that's what I got to do, start with Ed the bus. So right now, the most reliable mode of transportation in Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene is Ed the bus out there. Uh, it, is, it is redone. It is, a, it, is a, it is a new bus from the inside out. It has been completely reworked, completely redone. If you, get to, if you get a chance, you might say to Ed Neuenschwander, man, thanks for your, he quarterbacked that whole thing. And uh, it, we rode around in it this week, and we're going to do some more to it. In fact, we're going to ask you to help us do some of the now what's left to do, which is the interior work. We have somebody helping us with some of the exterior work. But that bus, that 1961 bus that is, in fact, a part of our history, was not left in history. Uh, we grabbed it, reacquired it, and repurposed it because that's what God does with history. That's what God does with, with history. God, God acknowledges that all of this stuff has happened in the past, but God does not leave the past alone. It seems like when we put the past in God's hands, God has this uncanny ability to do something with it that prepares a person, prepares a group, prepares even a situation for the future. Uh, that's kind of what Lent does, and I'm going to get more into that, but I, I want to say this to us up front. Um, Lent we're in the season of Lent. We're in a, uh, a sermon series that has to do with Lent. But Lent is not just about me finally getting you to acknowledge that you've been bad, <laughs> that you do bad things. I mean, to the extent that, that Lent needs to be about confession and repentance and forgiveness, uh, so be it. That's fine. As long as we all understand that confession and repentance you and I acknowledging where we're broken and where we have not lived up to God's high standards for us, as long as we understand that all of that happens against a larger backdrop of the bigger thing that God wants to do in and through us. The 40 days of Lent are meant to remind you of the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness. Remember this? Those 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness were not spent just with Jesus grappling with whether or not he was good or bad. We understand that to be preparation. It is no less so for us. I'm trying to tell you something here. Listen to me. God is going to do something 
with your past that comes with these ugly labels that sometimes are all too sticky, right? But God has the capacity to do something with your past and your own acknowledgement of your guilt, your confession and your repentance. God has the capacity to do something with all of that that prepares you for God's future. It's big. It's huge. It's big. Cody's uh, picture for us today. So read it, or receive it, interpret it a little bit like this. Uh, Past, present, future, kind of all on a continuum. God is moving us here by doing the work that needs to be done down here. And Cody says this is a life where it's a group of people, maybe even a church down here. The root structure, God is doing something down here, sometimes without you being able to see it just beneath the surface, but slowly but surely God is doing something and forming something that only God can form and it is going to be great. And Lent can be this kind of an experience for you. How are you doing with your Lenten observance? Ah, I've already screwed it up three times. Jump up, let's go. Start again. Not a sprint, it's a marathon. We observe Lent and we hope that you are observing Lent this season because Understood properly, it is a season of preparation for all that God wants to do in and through you. It is a season of monuments. Tamara, can't thank you enough for letting us back in to see the monument that you made. It is a season of monument moments. Monument moments. Where we give God access to what we've been, what we've done, only to find that God can do something to move us and situate us for the future. We uh, enjoy some pretty incredible monuments around here. You recognize this one. That's another really good worldwide monument, the Great Wall in China, uh, the Colosseum. I looked up this week, what are some of the most unusual monuments? And there are some, by the way. For example, this is in Germany. Uh, it's not a real rhino, but it is a real person underneath this uh, rhino. I'm not even sure what it's meant to signify. It just is, it's odd. And then there's this, there's a giant thumb in France, uh, second only in its popularity to the Eiffel Tower, I'm told, there in France. You have this, that's incredible. Um, sort of this spigot out there in the middle of nowhere. My favorite right here, this is in England, it's a, a shark in a, an apartment complex. Actually got some permission from the Homeowners Association to do that. Isn't that incredible? So we have some strange monuments. I think, though, this one is amongst my favorites. And you've heard me talk about this before, the Battle of Fredericksburg. So let me say this before I tell you more about this particular monument. Let me tell you what, what monuments are supposed to do. They're supposed to help us retell our stories in ways that allow us to move on from here. Does that make sense? Monuments help us to remember well, retell the stories, and retell them in ways that allow us to move forward, hopefully, hopefully better. <laughs> Richard Roland Kirkland was a Union soldier. And at the Battle of Fredericksburg, the Union Army had such a, a perfect location that they could survive the wave after wave after wave of Southern soldiers who tried to march across the field and take their position. And they were able to kind of mow them down. And this happened throughout the day until there were 5,000 bodies, 5,000 casualties there in this field. And I've stood out in that field. 
Well, that, that night, after this day's worth of fighting, Richard Roland Kirkland could hear the cries of the wounded, both Union soldiers and Southern soldiers, could hear the cries of the wounded, and said to his commanding officer, I gotta do something about it. I've gotta do something about it. Can I go out there and take some, some comfort to these people who are out there on the, and dying on the battlefield? And his CO said no. And he kept pestering his commanding officer until finally he said, okay, but it's sort of on you, right? Well, can I take a white flag with me? Guy said, no, you can't take a white flag with you. It's on you. Richard Roland Kirkland said, good enough. So he hops over the wall and he goes out there and for the rest of the night, he took water, medicine, help, to Southern soldiers and to Union soldiers, and it became so evident that he was doing it for both sides that they did not shoot at him. The angel of St. Mary's Heights is what they called Richard Roland Kirkland, and this is a giant, this picture doesn't do it justice. It is an enormous, enormous monument. It's an enormous monument meant to help us to do better and be better meant to help us retell the story of warfare, bloodshed, stuff that shouldn't be in the hopes that it can shape us for what can be. Does that make sense? That's kind of what monuments do. The book of Joshua has a lot to do with monuments. Let me say it better. Monuments are always cropping up in the book of Joshua. If you go all the way back to chapter 3, so the people have started to move toward the promised land, but there is this giant river in the way, the Jordan River. Well, God said, okay, put the ark out in front of you and start out into the water. Start out into this rushing water. So they start out into this rushing water, and sure enough, according to Scripture, the river kind of backs up way upstream and they are able to walk across the Jordan River on dry land. That should sound somewhat familiar, and it did sound somewhat familiar to them too. There's almost a sense of, you guys, God is doing it again. So, what happened was, all Israel, they were crossing over on dry ground, and the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan and into then God's promised land. But they also did something else. They said, okay, I want you to go into the bed of the dry Jordan River and I want you to pick up some stones. We want you to pick up some stones and we want you to stack them over here. And here's why. Because someday your children are going to ask you. You're gonna, they're going to ask you, how did this happen and how did we get here? Well, you're to tell them this story. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over. They say a couple times there in chapter 4, actually, a couple times, your kids are going to ask you about this, and when they do, you're going to be able to tell the story, not just about what you were able to do, but what God was able to do that allowed you to be something more than slaves in Egypt and something more than wanderers in the wilderness. God did something that allowed you to go forward. Someday, Hazel's gonna ask Tamara, what about those flowers? What about all of this? And as you heard Tamara say today, well, you know what Tamara's going to say. 
Monuments. Monuments help us to understand and put our past, complete with all of the labels of our past in proper perspective. And again, when placed in God's hands, our pasts, complete with all those labels, can prepare us for whatever is coming next. Okay, and here's what's coming next. (laughs) So it turns out, and this is in the beginning of chapter five, that other kings and kingdoms who did occupy the promised land at the time, they heard that God had done it again, that God had allowed for the people of God to move into the neighborhood, and according to scripture, they just sort of withered. They lost all of the spirit that they had because they knew that God was on their side. But the people still needed some work, let's say. And and probably rightly so, right? Because our life stories and our life experiences, they do mark us sometimes. And sometimes it's with terrible markings. For, For example, if you are in slavery long enough, you'll start to understand yourself as a slave. Does that make sense? If you're in slavery long enough, in captivity long enough, you'll start to understand yourself as a slave, as someone in captivity. Part of what we're doing during the season of Lent is we're trying to draw a bead, trying to focus our attention on what it is that holds us captive, that places us in the category of slave to acknowledge it, to offer it up in the hopes that we can actually live out what we've been singing today. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Something happens when God stops the water and Israel goes across, both in the Exodus and now in the Jordan River. Now watch this, watch this. Something happens. When God walled up the waters, okay, and allowed these people to escape from Egypt, On the other side of the Red Sea, they were no longer slaves. God gave them the gift of a different understanding of identity. Does that make sense? Now, they weren't fixed. They wandered, largely their own fault, if we understand Scripture correctly. They wandered, in fact, they wandered so long that probably they now understood themselves as people who used to be slaves and now are wandering around and can't quite make it to the promised land. And then the Jordan River. And God walled up the Jordan River upstream and allowed them to cross over. And on the other side, they have a different identity. Do you realize that when we plunge people into the waters of baptism, we are in some sense reenacting what God does in the Exodus? You plunge people into the water, and they have one name when they go into the water, but they have a different name and a different understanding and a different label when they come out. When they come out, he or she is the person of God, a functioning member of the family of God, a part of the people who are called with a particular purpose. That's part of what happens here. Now, the Israelites were told, but you have to keep remembering where you've come from. So when the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, They kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, remember God was preparing them, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land 
and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. This Passover ritual, I've written a few things I want you to hear. This Passover ritual, the monument moment and the monumental moments that they were, they were not just about the past. They were also about the future. Properly understood, the Passover meal reminded the people of God of the grace and the mercy of God who rescued them from slavery and from their own wandering in order to position them to respond to their calling. Heard in the calling of Father Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. And Lent for us is not just about the bad you have been, the bad things you have done. While it is about repentance and confession, it's not just about the past and who you used to be or the person you wish was in your past. It's about something bigger, something more. Jesus, during his preparation in the wilderness, battled temptation for 40 days, not so that God could finally break him and cause him to acknowledge his badness, <laughs> but God was preparing him for his greatest obedience, the full realization of his calling and potential. And during Lent, we acknowledge the past. And often is with great regret and confession, and the seeking of forgiveness, but all of that happens against a larger, more powerful backdrop. We too, like Jesus, are being shaped for something, prepared for something, rehabilitated for something bigger than our failures, larger than our former labels, and better than behavior modification. God has called us, covenanted with us, carried us, and shaped us to bring about utter and complete and total and devastatingly good redemption and restoration. Now, there was another passage of scripture made available to me today. Um, do you recognize this story? This is Rembrandt's characterization of a particular moment in the story of the lost son sometimes known as the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here before finishing up. There is remembering and forgetting in this parable. Remembering and forgetting. Remembering and forgetting. Put it like this. The younger son, the younger son forgets who he is. Forgets what it means to be the son of this particular father. And so he goes to his father and he says, I would like to have all that is coming to me, my inheritance, which I understand is only supposed to come to me after you die, but I would like it now. I would like it right now because I've got some adventures to go have. Now at this point in time, the older son is loyal. He's good, well-behaved, and remembers that it is a good thing to live in his father's house. The younger son, having forgotten wanders away, all of his money in hand, wanders away, and into harm's way. Now, you all know this story. At least most of us know this story. I'm sure that there was some time that this was a, a really fun and adventurous time for this, for this young man. He apparently lives high on the hog, as it were, for a long time. No telling how he spent that money, but I'm sure it had something to do with what we in Oklahoma would call smoking and drinking. 
perhaps even carousing. Just never know. What we know is, in this season of forgetting, he runs out. And he finds himself in harm's way. In fact, he ran out of his money. He was so desperate that he took a job feeding pigs. So the guy who was for a long time living high on the hogs was making sure that he could keep the hogs alive. And during that whole encounter, he said to himself, I think the pigs are eating better than I am. And so this one who forgot to remember now remembers to remember and in his moment of desperation says, man, I got to go home. He remembered at that point what he had at home, remembers his father, and makes this plan and says, you know what, I'm going to go back and throw myself at the mercy of my father. Now, I don't know how long. It's a parable, so we don't have real good hard evidence as to how long the father waited, how long the younger son was gone. We do know that there was something about the father that caused him to be wandering around always looking for the lost son. And so when the lost son came over the hill, dad saw him. Dad saw him, and we think probably hiked his robe so he could run out there and kind of tackle him in all the best sorts of ways. <laughs> in the speech that the younger son had prepared, he launched into that speech. I am not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, can I come home? And the father who remembered and never forgot the son said, nonsense, you're a son. Not only are you a son, I have huge parties to throw for you and big plans for you. So they go and they outfit this son as a son. They go and they have this big party and they throw this big party that's kind of where we are picking up this, this scene here. This is when the son is saying, I, I am not worthy. You can see here that he's in need of another pair of shoes. And you can see, you can see in so many different ways the welcome and the hospitality of the father who now is going to do something with the checkered past of this son. You see that? The father has the capacity to do something with this story that has gone so wrong for so long. The father has something to do with what the future is going to be. He restores him as a son, brings him back into the family, restores, him, restores to him this sense of purpose and mission and identity. While the older brother forgets. Now, the older brother here on the right is painted so as to communicate his displeasure with everything that is happening. The older brother says, man, I have been so well behaved for so long. He gets the, the, the fatted ox for his dinner. I haven't had so much. This is actually in the Bible. Noah's even so much as thrown me a party with a goat. And according to scripture, he kind of leaves the party. The older brother forgets and leaves the party. 
dad follows him outside. And they have a very poignant conversation. Yes, you've been with me this entire time. But this one who forgot, remembered, the one who was lost, is now found. This story doesn't actually end beautifully. It just doesn't. The story, if, if you read it, the parable ends with the older brother still being outside, and he is portrayed as having, having forgotten the grace of God and the mercy of God has brought him to this day. Hear me. Bad things happen when the people of God forget to rely on the mercy of God. Really, really, really good things happen when the people of God remember the mercy of God and recognize God's capacity to take all that we have been, complete with all of those labels, all that we have done, really, really good things happen when we remember the mercy of God that can take all of that and repurpose it so it has something to do with what's coming and what can be. I guess the question I have is for us. During Lent, have you, have I, have we acknowledged what we've been, acknowledged what we've done, acknowledged that there are these other labels that want to cling to us, have we, during Lent, acknowledged all the different ways in which we, too, perhaps have been held captive? If so, that is great. Hopefully, we are all healthy enough to acknowledge who we are, who we aren't, where we've failed. But that's just part of the project. That part of the project, you and I, acknowledging and owning and confessing and repenting, all takes place against the backdrop of a much larger conversation of what it is that God wants to do with an individual life, of what it is that God wants to do with a group of people, of what it is that God wants to do in and through the people of God for all the world. Does everybody remember that Lent is preparation for what's coming next? And here's what's coming next. Like, literally, I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you the title of the sermon series during Easter. <laughs> Here's what's coming during all of Easter. I'm actually handed a text from Revelation, right? And I love this concept in the, Revel in the book of Revelation. I'll get to preach about it again and again. It's, it's not God saying, behold, I'm making all new things. It's behold, I'm making all things new. And so the entire season of Easter we will have a sermon series called The Book of Renovation. <laughs> the Book of Renovation. You must remember during the darkest days of Lent that it's not just about Lent. You must remember during this season of introspection when you are working hard, <laughs> working hard to acknowledge your captivity, your past, all the labels that come with it, you must remember that the hard work of confession and repentance 
acknowledging your brokenness and your sinfulness, you must, must, must remember that it's not just about convincing you of your guilt. It's about preparing you for God's future. thought I would get a bigger amen there, so I'm, I'm going to assume that it's a microphone thing and come over here. <laughs> you must remember that the interest God has, and God does have an interest in you acknowledging your failure and your sin. That's a word we still use. You must understand that God's work that God wants to do on you as it has to do with your sins is not about finally breaking your will, end of story. But it is about, it is about positioning you for resurrection life that you will have and that I will have. When we come to the table, and if you're helping us, would you go ahead and come to the table? When you come to the table today, I hope that you will keep this image in mind. Now these are the pictures that Tamara has at her house. When you come to the table today, I hope you will keep Tamara's words and, and these images in mind. When you receive these tangible expressions of Christ's crucifixion, broken body and shed blood, again, please recognize that it's not just about you accepting this bloody sacrifice as somehow payment for your sins. It's about something so much better than that, bigger than that. It's about how God will work in and through you and position you as you deal with your sins for whatever is next. This is not just about the past. This is also about the future because someday Hazel will ask, what does this mean? And Tamara and Steve will have the opportunity to say, God was faithful and position a life like Hazel's and position their own lives for what it is that God will now do in and through them because of this story and this monument. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, help us to remember what's going on here. Help us to remember that we aren't just acknowledging our guilt and our sin. Help us to know that we too, like Christ, are being prepared for what's coming. In fact, God, it would help us if you would help, if you would just give us some glimpse of what's coming. Give us some idea of what resurrection life can look like within the life of an individual or on a larger basis in the life of a congregation. Give us a glimpse of what resurrection might, life like, might look like as it bubbles to the surface around us. And then help us to put our own sense of past and failure and sinfulness in perspective. And help us to see how it is that we are in fact being shaped for your future as we acknowledge our sin, our chains, our captivity. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet 
and exit your pew to the left, all of you who are willing. No one is going to be forced to participate, but we invite all to participate. If you choose to participate, we'll invite you to stand to your feet, exit your pews to your left, and then come forward with your hands cupped. That's important to us around here that you come forward with your hands cupped to receive communion today. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a bit of bread and press it into your hands and say this to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. That person holding the cup will then say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. If you choose to come to one of these side padded altars, the front on either side, we will assume that you were there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and anoint you with this oil to demonstrate the clinging nature of the presence of God in your life, the healing nature of God in your life. And we will pray that prayer whether you need physical healing, mental, emotional healing, relational healing, familial healing, we will pray that prayer for you. Or perhaps you'll want to come to one of these mourner's benches up front. We won't assume a thing if you come there, but we will at some point touch you on the back, the neck, the head, the shoulder, just so you know that you're not alone because you're not alone. Or you can circle right back around to your pew, but I would ask that if that's what you do, that you continue to pray. Pray, God, what is it that you are going to do with my Lenten observance, with the labels I carried with me into this room? How are you fashioning me and positioning me for your future? Who is eligible to come up front? Who is eligible to, to partake? Anyone who understands their need for grace, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, if you understand your need for grace, then you are welcome at this table and will be every week. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. And if at some point you need to be reminded, those of you who have been baptized, that in your baptism you were separated from your old labels, and you were, you were given a new label at baptism, then just come if you need that reminder. Come and dip your fingers into this bowl of water, very still right now, but here to jar your memory of the time when God swapped out your old labels for God's new ones, member of the family of God. If you need that reminder, just make your way here and dip your fingers in this water. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. All of you who will, exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.